welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to I See You. This is episode 39, Pain into Purpose, Losing Emily to Suicide. All right, guys, this is crazy. I don't even know where my microphone is right now, so I'm just using my computer to record the beginning of this. I apologize. I just moved into my new house, and it's beautiful, but there's boxes everywhere, and I'm dying to get everything unpacked, but this episode is so important to me. I could not not get it done this week. This week's review is from capital K-A-G-777, three asterisks, asterisks-I. I don't know the plural for that. Awesome. It's entitled five stars. It says, Julie, I love that you are doing this. I've never listened to any podcast before and just got caught up on everything so far. I love hearing all of these stories and want you to know that it helps me know that more people than I realize deal with difficult issues. It also helps me to know that we're all regular people trying to do our best, sending my love and gratitude your way, Krista. Thank you, Krista, for your review. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm so glad it's helping. That's the best. I love hearing that. If you want to support the podcast and what I'm doing here, you can go to my website, icupodcast.com, and click on support the podcast. I'm going to go ahead now and turn over to this amazing interview. Just be prepared. I get on my soapbox a little bit. That's a heads up. All right. Let's do this, my friends. We are here with Jenny Richards. Hi, Jenny. Hi. It's good to have you. Thank you. First of all, I have to mention, you are oldest of seven, right? I am. I am six of seven, but my oldest sister is named Jenny, too. That's So cool. that means something it to means me. It means something. Jenny, how do we know each other? This is a crazy story. There's actually two stories. I had a friend, who I will talk about a little later, who gave me a link to the podcast that you did with Richard Osler. Mm -hmm. and said, you have to listen to this. And I did. The next day I was on a walk and I listened to this beautiful episode where you told your story and you were articulate and brave. And I sat there and thought, who is this amazing human being? I want to know her. I want to know her. And I resonated with your story on many levels. My family has had similar struggles. And again, the seven kids thing came up in my mind. And then I kept thinking, I have to email Julie Lee. I don't even know who she is. And all day, just kept coming to me. Email her, email her, email her. A couple days later, I did. I said, hello. I said, I love your work and what you're doing. And I want to meet you. That was super bold. And you said, great, let's meet. So we went on a blind date that we set up for ourselves. And we've made it to date two. So it's going well so far. Yes, it's going really well. Actually, what was really surprising to me is when I met you and we started eating and talking, I feel like I've known you forever. That's so cool. And I think that speaks to your willingness to be vulnerable and willingness to see people, really. Thank you. I mean, I think probably a lot of people say that about you, like, oh, I feel like I've known you forever, or you understand me, or you get me. I think that's a gift you you have. I think we had to pull ourselves away from lunch. Yeah, we did. We didn't finish anything. We just started and started and started. But yeah. I'm really thankful. I wish we were next door neighbors. Well, you, really might, nice. you might change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> there are houses for sale because I'm in a new development. So okay. your kids are fine, and right? They'll three. just get up and move for me, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. We have a lot of similarities. We don't need to explain ourselves a lot to each other, mm-hmm. which is really mm-hmm. cool because we have some similar backgrounds there. Mm-hmm. You are so cool. Will you tell us about yourself? Yes. I don't have too much to say, but I'm a mom of four. I have four kids, two boys, two girls. My oldest is 16 and my youngest is six, so it's a busy life. 
beautiful life. My husband is a great guy. We met in high school and then we kind of followed each other through our schooling. I moved out of high school to New York City where I did degrees at Juilliard in piano. Music is a large part of my life. I feel like it was important for me to go to learn some lessons and a little bit different perspective on some things that continues to grow and change. Anyway, I love to drink Diet Coke and eat chocolate. And <laughs> I love that you do run. too because you were stopping to get one and I was like, do you want to get me one too <laughs> while we're on the subject? Okay, let's talk about your sweet special sister, Emily. This is probably what really propelled me to reach out to you, Julie. And it's something I was not expecting. And I think sometimes life gives us circumstances that we don't expect. And because of that, we are required to make something of it. Again, I'm the oldest of seven. I have three brothers and three sisters, and each one of them has a beautiful life, a beautiful story, all their own. In many cases, pain and hardship. I think because of that, more beauty and more depth. Emily is the youngest. I was 12 when she was born, and Emily is just a bright, magnanimous spirit. She passed away in January of suicide after a really long illness. January, January 2019, 5th. right? So this yeah. is really recent. It's just over three months. So the pain is real and some days are still really hard. Was she my age? She was 29, November 19th, 1989. Uh, oh, we graduated the same year. You did. Wow. We're like six months apart. Wow, you're kidding. You're like <sighs> me and Jenny, my sister. That's crazy. Is you and Emily. Wow. So Emily's youngest, beautiful, yes. magnetic personality. Yes. Talented violinist, very deep thinker, studied psychology, graduated from Westminster College with honors in psychology and was fascinated with the brain. Even as she battled her own illness, she would be fervently studying the brain, trying to figure out how to help people with addictions and fix suicidal ideation. It was like her mission. Wow. And then at the same time would be succumbing to this illness. She attempted suicide five times before she took her life. And each time she would be discouraged to find herself still here, but then she would rally and she would pick herself back up. If there's anyone in my whole life that I will learn resilience from and strength and dignity and purpose, it's her because she did not give up. And I even think at the end, she battled a terminal illness, truly. And I see that now in a different way. What was that like? What are some challenges that came from losing your sister to suicide specifically? I think grief has a new meaning to me now. Losing someone to suicide is a particular grief that has a depth and an ache that is very terrible. Losing someone is alone so tragic, but to lose someone in that way brings with it a wave of guilt and wonder and what if. And I think for me personally, knowing that she suffered to that point brings me great pain, that it was a death of despair. That's a hard thing to justify and to navigate. And I have great compassion for the people in my world that I know who are also navigating this, not just my family, but many friends. And for those that I will meet, and I know that there will be those that I come into contact with, that I can say, I, I know this pain and it is ravaging. And I do believe that Emily is free of this pain, that she's being not only healed, but expanded. This is my personal belief system. I believe that she has a purpose that will affect the way I live the rest of my life. And that is in finding and seeing those who not only suffer as she did, but those who also suffer from the loss of someone. This is going to change who I am, hopefully in a positive way. 
you're pretty familiar with the message of this podcast, mm-hmm. being seen and seeing other people, especially when we need it bad. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable. People aren't familiar with mental illness or suicide or any of those things. And people just don't know what to do and what to say. Were there people that chose to wade in the uncomfortability and to show up for you? Yes. It wouldn't be right to say who saw me through my grief and my pit without mentioning my husband, who's tall and strong and gentle. He not only saw me and sees me and is patient and kind, but he has lifted my parents in their darkest times. He understands that quiet empathy sometimes is the most powerful. It's just who he is. And I think being a doctor has helped soften him to see people in their pain, but I think he's an expert in pain management. Not just the I'll prescribe you something, but I will hold you or I will be there. He's a true master and I learn from him and love him. Wish that he could be here, but he would totally not agree with me. <laughs> oh, that's that's <laughs> Rob. Poor Rob. When I, yeah, that's my husband too. I'm learning and I don't want to say I've learned like I'm done. I'm not right. done. In fact, I'll probably never be done learning about this and learning what I can do better and learning about how people really can show love in these times and continue to. When you lose someone the last thing you feel is brave. I'm a very go-get-it-done kind of girl. I like to be busy. I like to be helping people. But this experience knocked me so low that I think I went five weeks before I got myself out of bed for a whole day. Every single day, there was some point in the day that I was in my bed in fetal position. It knocked me so low. And I don't go to bed. I don't take naps. That's not me. So in this state, I was very not brave. Did not feel brave. Felt very weak. Very vulnerable. I remember seeing moms that were just doing their lives that I was doing a month before with so much energy and vigor and life. I stared at them stunned thinking, how on earth do people live with so much energy? I don't have it. It's gone. And so in that really tender state, I think the people that showed up in big ways, I'll tell you a few. One was these girls in my neighborhood, little girls. I came home one day and on my door were hearts and all over the hearts it said, you're brave. You are brave. Brave. Jenny, brave. We love you. You're brave. Brave. Over and over it said brave. And I saved them. I stood at my door and cried tears for 10 minutes. And it meant so much because I think kids sometimes can understand and be brave enough themselves to say, I see you. But to say that to an adult is not a normal thing for a child to say. And to use that word brave in that situation, I hear that and I'm like, that's a really powerful statement. Mm -hmm. I would not have said at that age. I agree. I will remember that. And I will remember those girls that I know they mean it. I thought, you know what? I am going to be brave. I'm going to be brave for them. And I'm going to speak up and stand up and get up and try to expand my own heart in the hopes that I can help others' hearts. I thank these little girls for being brave to tell me that I was brave. I received a couple of letters from people that I don't know very well, that I know kind of peripherally. And in those letters, they exposed parts of themselves that I did not before know. And they said, you need to know this about me so that I can be in with you in this pain. One had lost a child when she was a baby. One had had a suicide in her family that she's kept very private. But to receive these letters where people said, I'm going to show you the messy and the ugly in my world so that you can know that I'm with you. That's beautiful because I think showing up in a polished, packaged, arm's length distance, that doesn't help when you're in the middle of a firestorm and a mess. You want people to say, you know, I'm messy too. And I don't get this, but boy, let's hold hands and try together. 
Let's cry together. Let's, let's sit cry and cry together. together because holy crap, neither of us know what to do right now. But let's yeah. just be together. It will change Beautiful. the way I see others. You don't, when someone's going through grief, say, I wanted to distract you. So I thought we better not talk about it. When you're going through something like this or any kind of grief, there's nothing else you're thinking about. Oh, yeah. Nothing. So in an effort to distract by not speaking about it, it's actually hurtful. It's painful. I agree. And people mean well, but it's a misunderstanding that that's the thing to do. That's not the thing to do. That's not. And if you don't know, ask. That's what we keep hearing from these interviews. Ask. If you're willing to be vulnerable with yourself, then others who are in pain will let you in more. If you're willing to say, you know what, this just is awful. I've had awful in my life too. And if you haven't had awful, that's wonderful. But just know that people do want to talk about it. They need to talk about it. There's a difference between saying, I've had pain in my life. I don't know your trials. But still connect rather than saying, well, I've been through all this crap too, so I know exactly what you're going through. There's a really big difference there. I remember a time when I was really struggling and I'm pretty sure I talk about it in episode one. This cute girl in my neighborhood was asking if there's something she could do because she knew I was struggling. And I just said, can you please come help me clean my house? And she came and I'm bawling doing the dishes. She saw me raw, vulnerable, not how I wanted to be seen, especially to someone I didn't know very well. I don't know how she knew, but she ended up at some point sitting with me and she showed me pictures of her baby boy that she lost or stillborn. And I just cried. I'm not saying that's always the situation to do that in, but I think she was inspired because it was just this moment of, I've been weak too, and I've needed people badly too. There's no need for us to be wearing makeup. We are just sisters right now holding hands and crying because sometimes the human condition is difficult and we don't know what else to do. Yeah. And we're okay with that. And And we're okay with that. Beautiful. We're not uncomfortable with that. There's the face we have at church or at the grocery store or whatever. And that's fine. It's Mm -hmm. fine to look your best. Mm -hmm. But on the list of priorities, showing up for each other in an authentic way Mm -hmm. is light years above any of that crap. I agree. (laughs) This is firsthand example of something that's actually important, right? I absolutely agree. And again, this event will change the way I will see others. Makeup, no makeup. Let's get real. A week after Emily died, I was prepared to teach young teenage girls in our church. And the girls I teach are 14 and 15. And I thought, I can't not go teach. I can't not show up for them. They know what happened. They've been with me. They care about me. I care about them. The best thing I can do is to show up and talk about it. Talk a little bit about what's been going on and what I'm learning and how my spirit is growing. And I'm in the middle of growth spurt. They need to see me not when I'm ready to teach and ready to have a polished presentation for them. Girls, I'm learning now. This is what's happening now. I thought, I'm coming, I'm going. And my husband walked with me because I wasn't ready to face the masses of people that are kind, but I was so tender. So I walked straight into the classroom and they're already there. These are normal chatty girls in high school and junior high. And I walked in and they were sitting in silence, just waiting for me. And they didn't know what I was going to say. They just were there. And I felt like there was this silent solidarity that we're with you. We're with you. We see you. And I don't even know if they understand it. I said, girls, in 10 years, I'm going to write you a letter. And I'm going to tell you truly how much that meant to me. And I mean it. I'm going to be good on that offer. I will find them. I will hunt them down. I believe you. I believe you. (laughs) But to have them there quietly waiting for me speaks more than I can articulate of I see you. And that leads me to one thing that I learned from Emily in the last month of her life. I took a drive with her. She was suicidal. And she said, I need you. I need you to stay with me until I can get into the hospital. So we had four hours to drive. And this is a gift to me now. This was December 13th. 
Can I just point out how incredible it is that you were in a place where she trusted you with that? I've been where Emily was at in that moment. There are not a lot of people that you can reach out with that intimately. That just speaks something of your guys' relationships. That's really cool. You were that safe. She trusted you with that. That's huge. I'm thankful for that. And I think that there's a reason she trusted me at that time. I have my friend Holly, who also directed me to the podcast to thank. Holly is my neighbor and a beautiful woman in many ways. And we took a walk in November. And all of these dates and times are really forever imprinted on my mind because they're so important. Holly and I went on a walk, just a random walk on a beautiful fall day. And she said, I have to tell you something. She said, my son is gay. He came out this summer. I love her son so much. He's an amazing young man. I said, tell me your story. Tell me how this all came about. What struck me, I guess, of everything she said was the way that she reacted to Sam, her son, telling his mom. And she reacted in the moment with so much love. Nothing but love. Unconditional love. My sister Emily was gay. She actually became non-binary, but was lesbian first, then moved into non-binary. And what I is, will you tell me what is non-binary? Non-binary is where she wasn't sure of her gender. So she didn't know where she fell along the gender spectrum, as she put it. Okay. And this resulted in a lot of pain for her. Yeah. A lot of pain. And I, I think I'm coming to understand more her pain. And I think this also will be a journey I take to love and understand people that are LGBTQ better. But Holly's conversation with me settled in me with such power that for a couple of days, I was just very emotional about it. And then I started to think, wait a minute, how did I react when Emily told me her news? Was I as kind? Was I as unconditionally loving? And I thought, no, I wasn't. I was careful. I was careful in my response. I was appropriate. But was I wholehearted? No, I wasn't. And we haven't really talked about it. She knows that I love her, but I have never said, Emily, I know that you are gay and I love you. And so I thought, I've got to talk to her. I've got to tell her. So this is November, Emily's birthday, her last birthday. I didn't know this was going to be her last birthday, but I called her and said, I want to take you to lunch on your birthday. Do you have plans? And she said, no, I'd love to go to lunch. So we went to lunch and I said, I can remember exactly the words I said. I said, Emily, I have to tell you about my friend and what I've learned from her. And she listened, really listened to me. And I said, I am sucky at this. (laughs) Those are my exact words. I said, and I want to redo. Good for you. I said, please let me tell you that I love you. I know who you are. I know that this is difficult, this road that you're on. I see you. I care about you. I'm proud of you. And she had tears just pouring down her face. She didn't speak. She just cried. Well, I called Holly on the way home and I said, Holly, you just gave me a gift. And I didn't realize then that this actually was the gift of a lifetime because Emily died probably seven weeks later. And every day from that lunch on, we either texted or talked. We communicated every day. Wow. And you weren't doing that before that lunch? It was very much a maybe once a month checking in. How are you doing? When can I see you? She'd say, how are your kids? But it was very surface, very careful, kept things on the surface because it was safe. And this opened the door to me being able to know her and see her and have her know where I really was because I was sincere in my expressions of love and admiration for her. But I wasn't brave enough to say it until my friend Holly helped me. I thank her for that. Because of Holly, Emily and I had this drive. Emily was suicidal and I got to see, and I do consider it a privilege to be with someone when they're in that place. It's horrendously hard. It also was a gift because it will help me help others. Having been with her in that day, I said to Emily at one point on this long drive, I said, Emily, I wish there was a way to convey to you how much I care about you. And she looked at me. I'll never forget this. And she said, Jenny, 
She put her hand on my hand. And you've talked about touching hands. It's very mm-hmm. intimate. Jenny, the English language sometimes fails us, doesn't it? And I said, it does. I know right where we were in the car where we said these words. I'll always know it. And I thought sometimes the best way to be there for someone doesn't require any words. I think the best way to see someone is just to be a presence. And there were no words, but I think she knew how much I cared about her. And I think she was telling me that her care for me was beyond words. Even in the midst of her greatest agony, we were able to communicate love for each other. And I think that's beautiful. Beautiful. How have your experiences given you empathy for others who feel alone? This is something I can't go into great detail about because it's very sacred to me, but I think that Emily herself will help me see others and have empathy for others. And just in the last few months, I've had the opportunity to have some experiences where I've seen others. My husband and I went to dinner at this great deli and we're in this crowded little restaurant and a man came up to us and started talking about food. Always a good conversation. <laughs> always a good conversation. I, I always have something to say about that. <laughs> we talked about food in Salt Lake City. We talked about food in New York City because we realized we all lived there. And then the waiter said, party of three. And we looked at each other and my husband said, do you want to eat with us? And this man whose name was David said, sure. So we sat down to have dinner with a stranger. Now that is an odd opportunity. Yeah. Cool. And he was amazing. What started as a conversation about food turned into a conversation about being a gay former member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. His navigating hard things, sometimes not feeling welcome, feeling hurt. It's a hard road. A hard, hard, road. hard road. And we got to see him in this. I felt like he was teaching me and I was being given this opportunity to learn. What am I going to learn from this? I don't know, but I've got to take it and love people better. My husband and I got in the car right after the dinner and at the same second looked at each other and said, he's hurting. And I think he's changed the way I feel about things. And I thank him. This stranger named David, I thank him for that. I can't take credit for these opportunities, but I was able to speak last month at the Utah State Prison and talk about caring for our spirits. And I know I learned more than any of these men. I saw a hundred men dressed in white sitting in a chapel coming to hear whatever small message I had to give, but really broken people that are desiring to be made whole. That's what I saw. My Emily is helping to navigate these opportunities that are strange to see others in very deep pain and see others in very unusual circumstances often that will help me know how to love better. And I felt so much love for these men. I got to shake each one of their hands and they each had a story. Some told me more than others. One said, I didn't know if I was going to stay and I want to fight and I want to stay after hearing your words tonight. And I thank Emily for that. To stay here in his body. To stay here in his body. To really practice and preach true religion. It doesn't matter what belief you have, but to practice true religion, we have to see as God sees. We have to learn how to see. The suicide of my sister is not something I would have ever asked for, but I think God is saying, okay, I am going to let you see others as I see them with the responsibility of doing something about it. If it means showing up, if it means getting to be with broken people, helping I'm in. I am in in whatever way I can be in. It's a holy obligation. It is. It's sacred. This was something I learned from a therapist several years ago after one of Emily's attempts, and I was feeling so helpless to know how to help. She said, well, when you can't help the person who's in the fire, help the person that's on the front line. And that helped me feel like I can do something for somebody. If you can't actually help someone in a crisis, who's on the front line? Help that person. I remember sending my sister, Lara, like a care package because she was on the front line with Emily and I couldn't help Emily 
but I could help Lara. So when Emily passed away, I had a friend that said, I'm going to bring you dinner. And I said, I don't need dinner. I've got four dinners. That's so amazing of you, but really recovered. And she said, well, then let me bring dinner to your parents Mm -hmm. who don't have a big community, who didn't have a rush of neighborhood friends. They're somewhat isolated and, and private. So my friend said, I'll make dinner for them. That was in action. Someone saying, I can't help you, but I'll help someone else through you. And I think that's I'll a beautiful find a lesson. Way. Yeah. yeah. Who's closest to the crisis? Let's help them. Because sometimes it's not appropriate to jump into the fire. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you, you don't have that relationship. You don't have that relationship. Right? And it's not appropriate. Absolutely. But, but find a way. Is. Yeah. yeah. Someone's on the front line. Someone is. I love that. It made me think about a conversation I had with my father and my husband was in the room and we'd been talking about my journey with anxiety and depression. And my father, as I've talked about on the podcast, he was diagnosed with bipolar. I was really young. I think I was about three years old. And so he very much so understands the journey with both anxiety and depression. And I remember him weeping and telling my husband, thank you for staying with her, which my husband was like, not a chance would I leave. I think it was pretty special for someone to see him. People, they say kind things about me all the time, but to have someone look at my husband and be like, no, this has not been easy for you Mm -hmm. too, was huge. And it didn't bother me. It it didn't create guilt for me. It made me feel reverent. This has been our trial together. Yes. Because neither of us have understood it. And he's had to be my rock sometimes Mm -hmm. when I didn't know what I believed, when the world looked upside down to me and not real. And Mm -hmm. he's been my rock in that Mm -hmm. way. And so I think that's such a wholly important thing to see the people on the front line, on the front line who are dealing with it day to day who are coming home and their wife is a puddle on the ground and doesn't know what's true anymore and is just Mm. surviving they are hurting too yes they're hurting too maybe one day i'll go into detail but there was one night that we shared together that was the worst day of our lives anyone ever says what was the worst day of your life you know we both know exactly when it was the hours it was he had to become a man. If he was not already a man, then he had to become a man and a husband Mm -hmm. that day. He never has looked back. It doesn't mean he's been perfect. None Mm -hmm. of us are. It's not like he's understood perfectly. He's committed to the cause. And those people, there's no one like them. No, there's no one like them. And I think your husband, his pain is to be acknowledged too. Absolutely. I've tried to acknowledge that pain for him. But that's almost not your role. But I have to be real careful about that, right? Because there's so much guilt that comes with stuff. And he's so good to not trudge me through that. But I'm so grateful. Mark, he did the episode on his single mom. As we were recording, my little girl was upstairs saying, Dad, I need to go potty. You know, (laughs) bring the froggy potty. And Rob's like quietly trying to do all this stuff. And at the end, it was so neat because my guest, Mark, he got all teary and he told me thank you. And then he looked at Rob and he's like, and thank you. And he thanked him over and over again. And he said, she would not be able to do any of this if you were not willing to go get the froggy potty to keep the kids quiet, to do all this. I think that meant something to Rob. He never would have asked for it. Nope. But it was huge. That's no so one's ever cool. told him thank you. That's real. That's it's powerful. Real. It's powerful. That will change the way I feel. When I see someone suffering and I'm not in the position to help them, well, then who can I help that's helping the person? Yeah. You can do good work that way. So she left a letter mm-hmm. when she took her life. You've shared some of those words with me. And I know that's given you an increased empathy for people who struggle. Her words are very familiar for me. They are thoughts that I've had when I'm in the hole. But not everyone has been in the hole. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to make quick judgments when you haven't been in the hole. Are you comfortable sharing some of those words? Sure. I think there are some things that she would want me to say. I think Emily was the biggest advocate of suicide prevention. She walked the walks. She raised money. She was a vocal 
advocate, you better believe I'm going to be that for her. But I think there's nothing more poignant and powerful than to hear some of the words from someone that's left us, that this is what she believes. And I think this is what will remain for me to finish her work. So I will share this paragraph. She says, I remain in fervent advocation for the pursuit of better understanding, earlier intervention, and anti-stigmatization of mental and brain illness. I wish upon no one the state of mind that decides to end one's life. It is my hope that society will develop a means to prevent those with psychological afflictions from ever getting to that point. Now, this is what I think is really important. Suicide is often a permanent solution to a temporary problem. But, and I would add when you're in the hole, temporary is ambiguous. She spoke more about her years growing up feeling hopeless and having suicide be a whispered thing that she felt was bad or wrong. Right. Yeah. If I had known, and if we had known, and, and as a generation, if we could have known to talk more about it, to be open, to be a safe place for people that are feeling hopeless, to say, I feel this way. That's work that needs to be done. Because you're feeling hopeless doesn't mean you're bad or wrong. It means you need help. You need love. Often it means you're sick, just as people with cancer or diabetes are sick. It's sickness. I feel like there's so much we need to do. There's so much we could say. A lot of it's social media. That didn't affect Emily's particular illness, but we've got work to do. We need to talk about it. We need to not be afraid. It's not going anywhere. It's, no. It's not. not going anywhere. It is going to ravage our lives. From the inside out. From the inside out. For that not to be a fearful thing, I think we all got to put on some armor and we have to say the word suicide. Over the pulpit. Over the pulpit. In, in lessons, we yes. need to mention that this is something people struggle with. We need to take judgment away from it mm -hmm. if we want to prevent it. I agree. And I don't agree with that talking about it is an invitation. Don't think that's the case. Mm -mm. I think you can frame this as suicide is a mistake. It's it a, is a mistake. It's a permanent No one solution. is better without you here. Yes. No one is better off yes. when you're gone. No one. But to not speak boldly about it and offer help and support and love, we're not doing anybody a favor. Nope. And I stand as a loving sister with a passion and a purpose that has come from pain to speak boldly. And I commit myself to speak about it, to love better because of it, to see people. It's going to change who I am. I'm grateful for this opportunity because if this helps anybody, I've been successful. If there's someone listening that is hurting, what advice would you give them? I want people that are hurting to know that they are not alone, number one. And number two, they are worth it. We have worth because we are, because we are made by our maker. You're not alone and you are worth it. And we need you. We need you. And we need you because of your struggle. We don't need you perfect, presentable, polished. We need to know your voice and your pain because it will help others. So don't give up. Don't give up. There's someone right now that will help you, that will love you as you are, not as you can be or will be, but as you are right now. It's the most important thing we can know. So we haven't touched on this a lot mm -hmm. because the focus has been on Emily, rightly so. Mm -hmm. You mentioned at the beginning that you went to Juilliard and you're an incredible pianist. We've talked a little bit about some of the music that has really, really shaped you and shaped your beliefs and shaped your relationship with God. What did you want to share musically about that? I think if there's a piece of music that would be relevant today to our topic and very relevant to me as I begin this journey that I'm on now because of Emily is a piece called Consider the Lilies. 
Consider the lilies is a beautiful piece that talks about the lilies of the field, the sheeps of the fold, the birds in the sky. It's a piece about nature. And to me, it's God saying, I've given you these gifts in the world to show you that I see you. I see you as the lilies. I see you as a bird in the sky. I made them all. And whenever spring comes and it's spring now, I see the daffodils and I think that's God acknowledging that he sees me and he sees us and he made us. So this piece to me, it's God's I see you piece. In it, it also talks about the sweet, tender children who have suffered on this earth, the pains of all of them he carries. To me, that's also a mental illness nod from God to say, I see you in your pain. I love you all the same. I made the lilies. I made the birds. I made you and I see you in your pain and I will heal you. So to write an arrangement of this piece was a holy experience. And this is the third reason why I feel this is relevant. I had a friend who was going through a severe mental illness and was in an inpatient facility after a very traumatic postpartum depression episode. Mm. I learned from that experience that sometimes you just go sit with someone and we visited it every day. I love her. She's been a lifeline for me. But one night driving home from that hospital, being with her, I had Consider the Lilies just forcefully in my mind and thought, I want to write an arrangement for Steph, my friend. So this came out of love and devotion to her. But now I feel like it has a bigger purpose. And it's just to say that God sees us and sees you and sees me and wants us to love each other better. And that's what I'm going to try to do all the rest of my days on this earth is to try to love people better and be grateful that he's given me this terrible experience to learn how to see people better. Usually as I fade out of the episode, I have my acoustic music that my cute little brother wrote for the podcast. With your permission, I'd love to put that at the end of the episode to put your arrangement of Consider the Lilies. I would love it. I want to put my website in the show notes. I would love to, too. It just has links to, they can download it. It's JennyRichardsMusic.com. And all of your pieces have a story to them and you write those out. I love that. What I felt as I listened to this arrangement of Consider the Lilies, we are loved. And yes, we all hopefully are making good decisions in our life and we're doing our best. But before even taking any of that into consideration, number one is that we are loved and that we are worth any work it takes for us to stay here in our bodies. Because as Gainalyn Condi says, not a single one of us are extra. It's not like Ikea where you get all these screws and, you know, they put in six extra screws in case you lose them. And none of us are extra. God didn't put any of us on and say, well, you know, hopefully there's just enough to make it. And if we lose a couple, it's fine. God doesn't feel that way about one single human soul. Yesterday I went and I was able to see some people that I grew up with and a girl I was a similar age too, and she took her life a few years ago. It was a really, really hard funeral for me to go to, especially because I've been in that place before, and so I really can identify to that. I just was able to sit with her parents yesterday and talk to them. And I also saw someone else yesterday that I know has has attempted. And I saw this person and I saw them in their life now and they are beautiful and they're glowing. The thought that came to my mind when I looked at this sweet young family and this sweet person that I knew has struggled bad to be where she's at and has not wanted to stay in her body at times, but is here. I just looked at her and I thought, we're not better without you. We're never, ever better without you. Right. And there is always light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how long that tunnel is. Reach out, talk to people. When you want to isolate yourself, don't isolate yourself. Reach out and say, today sucks. It's bad. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be here and it's okay. And please, people, if you don't understand, 
just be willing to say the word suicide. Please, let's just take the shame away right. from it. Because right. the longer it's in the darkness, the longer it's an isolated thing, it will have power and it will continue to ravage our lives. Right. And maybe I would add to those of you who have lost a loved one to suicide, two things. God is healing your loved one. He is healing them. There is hope. There is hope for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. They are victorious no about it. souls who have lived difficult lives. And he's helping them work that out. Yes, I believe that with all of my heart. And also to those who have lost a loved one, God sees you too. And he is healing your heart and he's healing my heart. And again, I say it in the present tense because I'm not healed. I'm being healed. And there's capacity given where there wasn't. And I'm not in my bed anymore. And I'm buying conditioner instead of shampoo, which I did 10 times because I couldn't remember. You smell nice. You look clean. But that's capacity that's a gift. So consider the lilies is not only for those that are wanting to go. It's for those who have lost someone, especially to suicide. He sees us. He knows us. He will heal us. Thank you. Julie, I really love you. I love you. I hope I can be in your life. Please. I really We'll make it happen. We don't live that far apart. Please, if you know someone Mm -hmm. that has struggled with anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. a hard time, Mm. if you've lost someone or you know someone that's lost someone or is going to lose someone, that's pretty much everybody. Will you please share this episode with them and share this message with them, right? Julie, far and wide. Yes. Well, no, I'm talking to the audience too. Oh, right. (laughs) Are we recording right now? (laughs) I'm recording. You too, though. Yes, I appreciate your enthusiasm, please. Yes. No, but please just share this with them and share this message of Consider the Lilies. God sees you. He sees you right now. He saw me on the ugly tile floor of my bathroom laying in the nasty dirt and grout with nothing left to give. He saw me. Mm-hmm. And my life is really, really different now. And he, it's going to be okay. He's healing you too. Yep. My name is Julie Lee, and I see you. 